It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And for podcasting. From the Jethro's Barbecue Studios, now featuring CBD-infused seltzer to get happy, legal for 18 and up. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 106 point. Here's Miller and Condon. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome in. Miller and Condon here on a Tuesday, Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. It's Trent Condon and Ken Miller. And we're going to talk sports with you for the next couple of hours. What started with a win by Middle Tennessee on the 17th of December. Culminates last night in Indianapolis with Georgia winning their first uh, national championship in 40-something years. Here's the BMW of Des Moines guest list. A lot of NFL conversation coming up today. Uh, we will do some other things. So here's what we've got. At the bottom of the hour, we will get the latest on the Chicago Bears from Jeff Hughes to bearsblog.com. Uh, 15 minutes or so after that, we're going to talk to uh, Michael Swain, who we spent a lot of time with over the last couple of years on Iowa State. He, as you may know, has moved on. He's covering the Jayhawks, and lo and behold, the Cyclones and the Jayhawks collide tonight. So we'll get a Kansas perspective coming up here from Michael Swain and a pretty good uh, Iowa State perspective on the strengths and weaknesses of the two as they go against each other. But Michael Swain, our final guest in the 10 o'clock hour. Bama Bob will be here for the final time to recap college football and the national championship. Nick Athen on the Chiefs at 1130. And then Ted Glover on the Minnesota Vikings and the direction perhaps that they will go in at about 1140. So we will... Uh, take a glimpse of three of the four local teams, regional teams this morning, the exception being the Green Bay Packers, and we'll get to them next week. How are you? I'm doing well. Fun game last night. It was a fun game last night. It had a uh, little bit of everything, a discombobulated start mm-hmm. where it looked like Stetson Bennett, they were, uh, the stage too big for him. Mm-hmm. Um, how did it start? Sack, when he was barely touched. You're right. Uh, then he breaks free on a scramble, fumbles the ball without being touched. And then I think there was one more uh, sequence or play on that series. Anyways, didn't start out well, but it ended well for the Bulldogs. Look, uh, you, you hate to say it, Trenton, you hated to see it, but it certainly seems to me that when Jamison Williams mm-hmm. went down, uh, the entire complexion of that football game changed. Not saying they would have won the game, but man, oh man, you take away their biggest receiving weapon. Um, and do so on the heels of what a forty-five or whatever it was yard touch completion yeah. rather, um, it changed everything. No Mechie, You're right? Then no Williams. Yep. And they got dudes. I mean, it's not to say that, but they're young. They uh-huh. haven't played. They uh, yeah. and you're getting thrust into the national championship. Bryce Young. I walked away from that one. I mean, he was throwing off his back foot mm-hmm. all night long. They pressured him. The linebackers in particular. They came up with a game plan that you had to do, and it was mm-hmm. a terrible game plan in the SEC championship game, but they evolved as you anticipate they would. All the changing, the shifting along the line, just trying to change things up. And Bryce Young didn't play great, 
But I walked away very impressed by him because he was under duress all night long. Yeah. You're without your top two weapons, mm-hmm. and he was still there and until the pick six. They still had a chance. Yep. But the game. They were only down eight. They were down one score before the pick six. On the fumble that was. See, I think it was the right call. It was close. It and, was close. And look, I was invested in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So you would have thought that I would have been apoplectic at the time. Now, to begin, I thought it was a fumble, but the kid's out of bounds. Right. He clearly didn't have possession. Whoop. <laughs> he didn't even. He didn't, like he was he trying for it. No, totally was, agree with you. He was just going through the yep. motion and. Yep. Just, oh, look what I found. Just grabbing the ball yeah. because the play was over because uh-huh. he thought it was incomplete. Right. And then is there just a, a... It was so close. And if it's called on the field, no recovery, right. I don't think it's overturned either. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. called out of bounds and it's a fumble yeah. and it's out of bounds there, Georgia's ball. But at that point, it felt like, all right, Georgia's going to do it mm-hmm. again, right? They're going to fall on their face mm-hmm. and then back-to-back drives. Now, the second one was more the running game, but that yeah. first drive, including the touchdown... Prolonged drive. Blitz up the middle, Stetson yeah. Bennett slides to the right and delivers the shot into the end zone. And then the catch, I mean, holding <laughs> it with the helmet, it just, Jeez. the catch in the end zone was incredible. Was. But he stepped up and made the play and made mm-hmm. walk-ons across the country yeah. cheer. He's got a lot of people, certainly, in his camp after no, that. No, he does. And showing him crying uh, before the game mm-hmm. comes to an end, the emotions just caught up with him. And uh, just a remarkable story. And he was able to uh, to culminate it with a national championship. This guy will never need to work again or have a serious job again if he, if he wants to because there's going to be a Georgia booster that will take care of him for the remainder of his days. Yes, absolutely. And understandably so. Yeah, it was a great game, Trent. It really was. Um, you know, there's so many different directions you can go in uh, with, uh, with with how the thing played out. I thought that as important as anything was making Alabama settle for field goals. Yes. You know, coming up with big defensive stops, especially you know, you know all, all of them, for God's sakes. He, they attempted five field goals. One of them was blocked. Uh, for them that they made, so you know that was it was huge. The way that, the defense that block right field goal was a huge turning point. Absolutely too. was. I mean, they come right down yep. right afterwards, get the first touchdown of the mm-hmm. game. It, it just it had all these feelings of Alabama's hanging around, yeah. hanging around. They're going to make the play and they're going to win it. And a couple of plays here and there that changed the complexion of the game. And offenses finally started to get revved up a little bit afterwards. Oh, what a fun one! It was yep. a fun one to cap off the season. Yeah, it was all SEC. I'm sure the TV numbers. Aren't going to be great, no. but you know what? Who cares? Yep. We enjoyed it. I know. I'm and, and I'm sure that our listeners enjoyed it, too. If you're listening to us, you like sports, yep. you were finished the season with a good one. We don't get that all the time. No, we don't. And and look, it was a, um, what, what did I have, 15, I think it was. But it was, as you mentioned, until the pick six, mm-hmm. which was late in the contest, it was, it was still there on the table for Alabama to score a touchdown, get a two-pointer, and send this thing uh, into overtime. Just a phenomenal of performance out of Georgia. Their linebackers all over the football field. I got a kick out of one. There was one play uh, in the game. Um, Dean, their leader, 17. He's such a good player, Nakobe Dean. He had uh, he got all over one of his teammates, 41's case, because he was out of position on a, on a pass that was almost completed for a touchdown uh, when they had to settle for a field goal. And the very next play, 41 comes back and sacks Young for a big sack. Taking the, If they were going to go for it on fourth down from inside mm-hmm. the five-yard line, I mean, that was, that was no longer an, uh, an option. Uh, terrific play, great leadership. If you're an Alabama fan, look, it's Alabama. You've got the Heisman winner coming back. 
best defensive player in the country and coming maybe, back. And maybe, yeah, maybe the Heisman favorite, a defensive player next year uh, in Will Anderson who's coming back. So, yeah, it, it stings here a little bit today, but Alabama's not going anywhere. The bad news, the, the, I think, that came out of yesterday, game aside, is, Trent, we are, I think, further apart on this playoff expansion yep. that you and I, maybe it was just deep down our – Heart was thinking opposed to our head when we thought maybe there's a glimmer of hope that these sides aren't talking. Maybe they're getting something done behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. No, they weren't. Ever, there's there's just too many opinions. Why would the SEC change? Why would they change their opinion? They don't have to. They don't have to. And Sankey is willing to for the betterment of the sport. When this all came together and we got a four-team playoff, it was ultimately the two heavy heads. It was Jim Delaney. And the old commissioner, yeah, his name I have trouble saying all the time. Yeah. He passed yeah. away. Yep. But it was those two that didn't need a change ultimately. No, but they went for it because it was for the betterment yep. of the sport. Mm-hmm. And now we have the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12 throwing a hissy fit about themselves. Well, and Klyavkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, and I'm probably butchering his name, coming out and you know exposing what they want. I mean, he, he put out a statement yesterday. This is what we want, and, and this isn't getting any traction. You're not getting it. No. Come together for the betterment of the sport mm-hmm. and for these conferences, and specifically the ACC. Your champion, their quarterback didn't play in your bowl right. game. Yep. And you don't want this playoff? Yeah. The Pac-12 has been there twice in the last eight years, mm-hmm. and you don't want this? What is happening here? It, it seems like... Some of the most idiotic thinking inside the room. And I understand these are new people and they want to stand behind it. But ultimately, what you're looking to do is about the bottom line. It's about getting money. Yeah. And how do you do that? It's a 12-team playoff. You just said the magic word. This is where this meeting needs to take place. It needs to take place in a vault. Yes. It needs to take place, these commissioners, surrounded by all of these stacks of cash that is... For whatever reason, they're sitting around this boardroom table or Zoom. I don't know how they're doing it. But they don't realize how much money they're leaving on the table. And that moves the needle in college athletics like nothing else. Let's not kid ourselves. The current structure has three playoff games. And we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars for three. Mm -hmm. Now you would get 11. You would have 11 playoff games. I'm no mathematician. I went to college for five and a half years because I'm not very bright. I'll tell you what, though. That's a lot more money. 11 games versus three. Right. And here's the thing. Okay, is it going to minimize some of the other exhibition games? Maybe, maybe not, because they're already kind of uh, been relegated to that stature. We're still going to watch. Right. Look at the television numbers for crying out loud. The bowl season crushed. And the Rose Bowl get out of the way. And and particularly the Sugar Bowl. Yes. And I kind of get the Rose Bowl because they have a parade. You're right. Right. (laughs) There's something behind it, Mm -hmm. but... When this came together, the Sugar Bowl and the SEC said, well, we've got to have our own, too. So help me out with this. Yeah. Is, is the Sugar Bowl, do they ride the Rose Bowl's coattails because they were second? Isn't the Rose the Sugar Bowl the, the second longest bowl historically as far as when it started? No, really, the only thing was the SEC says, well, if the Big Ten's going to get theirs with the Rose Bowl, we want ours with the Sugar Bowl. I mean, ultimately, okay. that's really what it was. But it's there's no historical nature involved in the discussion? Because I think there is... I'm sure there is, yeah, I but... I think they're like... They're that's really lip service. The, the reality yeah. is the SEC says, all right, if they're going to get theirs, mm-hmm. we got to have our I own standalone that, game, That makes too. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's ultimately well, what Well, it doesn't it make sense, but your theory makes sense. <laughs> right, yeah. And that's where we are 
Rose Bowl, all right, you want to do that, but bring college football back to where it's supposed mm-hmm. to be and get these bowl games that matter and have playoff games that actually matter mm-hmm. and just on and on and on. It seems too simple. We got the ACC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12 yeah. throwing a fit here, and the SEC, Sankey says, okay, because look, the two teams playing tonight, as they were talking yesterday, they're both from our conference. Right. We're fine with this structure. He wants to help this sport out, but the other conferences don't. And how about Bullsby just leaving? Yeah, he was and, pissed. And tip of the ball cap to him. Yeah, he was pissed. Because he knew nothing was happening, and they weren't getting anywhere because, mm-hmm. again, of these idiotic commissioners. And it goes to the Big Ten. You have so much power. You have so many good things. But ultimately, you're dragging your feet about something that ultimately doesn't matter. It's got to be power conferences have to have an automatic bid. Why? Name me a year where the Big Ten champion would not be in a 12-team playoff. Even this year, that crappy Iowa team we saw get throttled. But something fluky happens and they win that game. They're still in the college football playoff as the Big Ten champion. That's how it would go. Even at 11-2, and Iowa would be there. Is there a season? Maybe. Where you think back of what was the year where Wisconsin back in the old leaders and legends, Penn State and Ohio (laughs) State both weren't eligible and they got in. Okay, in that one instance that would happen once every 50 years, they wouldn't get in. But you're dragging your feet about that. It just—it's so asinine. I don't get what the ultimate end game is about. Is it about that? Just that? I don't know. I don't understand it, Trent. They're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're missing. They're—they're they're missing the the number one factor. It's money. Money I, moves your needle. And I said it yesterday. The best regular season in sport. It is to one of the dumbest, most mm-hmm. archaic, mm-hmm. ridiculous, with no buzz. And then to have them on New Year's Eve, and then to play the game. Like, what was what's Nash? Okay, ESPN. I get it. They've they've got control of the of the Bulls in the play. They're going to spend a lot of time focusing on it. But it would have been the entire conversation on Thursday of this week. Mm -hmm. Monday there was coaching firings all over the country. That's going to cloud things. We're excited about the end of the regular season and looking ahead to the playoffs. You have Monday. You have today. You have tomorrow. Move this game off Monday night. I don't understand why they're married to Monday. Have it on Thursday. Control the narrative of the of the sports narrative leading up to your championship game. They're 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 they make there's some things they do right, but more and more, they just they can't get out of their own way. Matt uh, brings up a point on Twitter. He says, I think they're delaying it to get negotiating away from just ESPN. One well, that's probably it. true. It is. Yeah. But if you get this in place, you can actually do it before the end of this contract, which goes for the next four years. Mm-hmm. You can do it within two, and then you can open it up for bidding because, again, you have an extra eight games here where you can bid. Have the Fox, CBS, whoever else mm-hmm. wants to get in can bid on these but, games and, and get and, money. And please Please limit the bidding to television networks. Well, you know, don't give me Amazon or who's the other one or whatever. Don't don't do that. Don't do that. It's about money. I know, I know. Um, I guess you can't have everything. No, got to no. change, right? Uh, fair point. Fair point by Matt, and we'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, game itself, fun, good game. Curtain comes down. What did I see? Two hundred and fifty-seven days or something until. <laughs> Well, did you see this uh, Sean Callahan who covers Nebraska for the right? He's Tom Cakert for for Nebraska. Okay, the rivals guy. Yeah, the rivals guy. So Ireland flew him over in December to do a promotional tour Mm -hmm. because Nebraska opens up the college football season there next year playing Northwestern, right? Yeah, Uh Northwestern. And uh, they had him over there and they took him around and they showed him all the tourist traps, etc. And they're already starting their campaign to... You know, college football, the curtain goes up and it'll go up here 
in in Ireland, and uh, they're, he's tweeting pictures of the the stadium is going to play be played at today. But boy, 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 it's a long way off. Yes, oh, it it's is. a long way off. Well, we still got NFL no, no. Football. We do. We, we'll get to that point. We got another month here. Absolutely. And the NFL playoffs are going to be outstanding. I think they are too, Trent. They're so wide open. Yes. I mean, who, who other than Green Bay? And that's where the conversation starts. I starts. I mean, it's it starts with if you're doing power rankings one through fourteen. Mm-hmm. I think you take one and two through fourteen. Can you make? I can't make a case for the Steelers. Right. One and fourteen are locked. Yeah. Packers at one. Steelers of 14. I can't make a case for either of those two teams. But in, between, in the middle of that? Throwing them in a hat. Mm-hmm. Pull them out. Mm-hmm. You like the Titans, they get a bye. All right. You like the Cowboys with that offense? Who don't you like? Mm, the Cardinals. Okay. Another season of Cliff Kingsbury falling yeah. on his face yeah. late in the year. Yeah, he did. Did again. I mean, Seattle had nothing to play for. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't get a stop. Nope. No, and and they, I mean, the punter. You, I guess it's going to happen. Right, he drops the snap. <laughs> I, I cross them off. The Raiders, you still have to cross off. Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't think they'll beat Cincinnati. Right, I don't. I, do but if like, they win that, they're not winning another game. Do you uh, like New England to beat mm, Buffalo? By the way, huge news on this game. If you like cold weather football, you're in for a treat. Oh, what do We're we got? In for a treat. Temperatures in uh-huh. the teens. Yes. Of course, it's eight fifteen kickoff. Eight uh-huh. fifteen temperatures in the teens and medium winds. Medium winds. Thirty percent chance of snow. Oh, bring that snow! Right, snow game. Bring it absolutely. Nothing better than a snow game in football. Yep, um, I'm totally in. Totally in. Totally in. Oh, Buccaneers, you a believer? Um, it's Tom Brady. Yeah, Tom Brady. Eagles. Look, I think the Eagles. I think the Eagles are going to give Tampa a game. Jalen Hurts' emergence over mm-hmm. the second half of the season has been mm-hmm. pretty incredible. Yep. Where people thought, oh, man, th- this was a waste. They got rid of Carson Wentz. What are they doing? Well, not only the cap relief, because Carson Wentz did yep. Carson Wentz things in Week 18, uh-huh. but also maybe they got something here at the quarterback spot. And and it also works out well where, all right, if it wasn't going to be a playoff year, you go out and get another quarterback. Well, it's not a great quarterback draft. So you go another season with Jalen Hurts. Yep. See what you got there. I think it sets up incredibly well for this Eagles team. Was it Howie Roseman, the GM? Yep. He's done a really nice yes. job and built that defense up really well, too. Give me an AFC road team that can win this weekend. AFC road team to win this. Steelers, this Steelers, no. No. Patriots. Mm-hmm. Patriots would be the one. It's still Belichick. Like you mm-hmm. said with the Bucks and mm-hmm. still Brady. Mm-hmm. Same thing here. It's still well, Belichick. Well, we saw this game. Was this a Monday night game? Buffalo, New England. Remember it was so windy that yes, and Matt that Jones never threw game. the ball? Yep. Uh, so we get this rematch and we get the game back in the, in Orchard Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so New England would be the one. Can, do, do the Raiders beat the Bengals? I don't, I don't think so. I think so, no. I think the AFC home teams can run the table this weekend. That's kind of my take going into the playoffs. We get fluky things, though, and you love favorites, so that means you love home teams here in the opening round. Yes. So you don't have a dog that you love. Not in the AFC. Oh, but there is there is the NFC. I know, and, and here I think you can make a case for San Francisco Yes, to beat the Cowboys. Uh-huh. I think you can make a case for... I think the Eagles are going to give the Bucks all they want. What's that number? There's a dog that's barking to me. Eight and a half. Is it's over More a touchdown? More than a touchdown. Yeah. Um, Cardinals and the Rams on Monday night. What happened in this series? I can't even remember now. I don't remember either. Did they split? Well, what I do remember is both of them lost this weekend. And Matthew Stafford 
is not playing good football. No. Um, they played in what uh, December 13th, yeah. and the Rams won that one 30-23. And then they played way back in October, beginning of October, and the Cardinals killed them 37-20. I think I remember that game. Yeah, they were continuing their undefeated start to the season at that point. That was their fourth win of the year, and I think that was a wake-up call for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Hey, maybe this Cardinals team is for real. Mm-hmm. And then the end of the season came again. Mm. I like the Rams. Do you? And I also have a future on them, so maybe that's... What did you get them at? 14-1 to 1 before the year. That's pretty good. Oh, before the year. Before the year. Because you got they got to be around that now, aren't they, going into the playoffs? I think they're 10-1. to 10-1? to 1. Yeah. Right in that range. Mm-hmm. So got a little bit of value there. Cashed another ticket. So Speaking those are of, my two big ones before the year. Georgia and college. And you did catch... Did you hedge? I did hedge. Yeah. Could have been bigger, right? Well, at least you got him. You had them at seven to one. Seven to one. That's a good. That a, that's a good get. Speaking of that, did Andrew Downs win the Bet Rivers Wild Rose contest? I don't know. He bet a lot on Alabama, and did I don't he? know if Hawkeyes or if I Rock, if either of those guys. I know I Rock went down in flames. He did. Okay, yeah. so he went all in. Hawkeyes. I, thought, I think Hawkeyes. Ticket. Yeah, I think Hawkeyes had a pretty good ticket. And it's going to be down to the wire. We'll uh-huh. find out here. Hopefully, uh, Travis and Sipker, John and everybody will let us know. Scott Sipker bet Georgia. But okay. he didn't show his ticket. Oh, how much did he pull? Well, I don't. Nobody knows. Oh, shady sip. Yeah, this yeah. is the. the you got to look out for this kid. I um, understand, right? You know those people from Carroll. They're a weird bunch. <laughs> we, we you shady. and I, both ended up on the plus side. Yeah. We were given two hundred fifty dollars to play in this thing. We both came out. We played every game, and you you did very well. You were what three three hundred and what three thirty eight? I think it was Pretty something good. like that. Yeah, good. on the plus side. So that means I can throw some college basketball futures now. Can right. probably play some baseball like you did. How much did you put down on your Blue Jays? Well, nothing yet. But oh, okay. I was, yeah, I'm. I'm going oh yeah, because you got a little extra money. Yeah, in there I, I came back. I finished up with two hundred fifty eight. I had a major your opinion on Georgie yesterday. So what do you throw, 50 bucks on your Blue Jays? Mm, 25. 25, yeah. Let's see how the I will Super not be Bowl playing the Twins. Me. No, they're 80 to 1 at some place. So DraftKings, I looked at DraftKings yesterday. Um, they're a big 80 to 1. Yeah, they don't have any pictures. White Sox are 12. It's a problem. In a game where right. half of it is throwing the ball. Uh, Cardinals were in the 20s, I want to say. I, was, okay. I looked at the regional teams. Mm-hmm. White Sox are the betting favorite. Yeah, they the were twelve to one. Twelve to one. Twelve to one. Yeah, that was the. I'm going by memory, and mm-hmm. that sometimes gets uh, gets in the way. All right, we are going to talk with Jeff Hughes. Uh, any? Do you have a favorite for your Bears? So who do you want? I don't have a favorite. No, uh-huh. I I like a lot of the names. Of course, Flores is being thrown out there. Dayball. Um, I think that one makes a lot of sense because of Fields. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go that direction after he he reclamated. Josh Allen, he looked like he was yeah, going to be yet another yep. strong-armed guy that's never going to mm-hmm. work. And you know who else did, too? Was it, is it Aaron Rodgers' brother that worked with him? Somebody worked with Josh Allen on his release okay. after his rookie season. Mm-hmm. I think it's Rodgers' brother that does that. Really? The, well, he doesn't get along with anybody in this No, movie, so. no. Um, but somebody, somebody... And Dable deserves credit, too. Mm-hmm. Did you see McCaskey's press conference yesterday? A uh, couple minute clip I saw. So, on I just Twitter. saw it on Twitter and he got killed. Yeah, it was embarrassing. Was it bad? Yeah. It was, well, he sounded like what you'd anticipate a guy that is inept right. would do. And the organiza- organizational structure hasn't changed. So here we are once again. Yeah. Uh, Vikings are going after who? Do you know? I mean, the cast are pretty wide. Denver's, Denver's got, t- was it eight or 10 requests permission to speak with? Oh, is it that? Yeah. It's a bunch of them. Yeah. Might as well. A couple of them are Green Bay Packer assistant coaches. What does that mean? Go after the division. Well, if you if you if you hire 
the quarterback's buddy? Does that mean the quarterback's oh. following? Oh, you're playing that game. Well, I don't think I don't think that's another realistic. Green Bay to Minnesota. Yeah, I just don't. No think. stop with the Jets in between. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, we'll come back. We'll get into the NFL. We will do some Kansas Iowa State stuff with Michael Swain. He covers Kansas for the twenty four seven site, but. Up until the end of December, covered Iowa State. Look forward to catching up with him. Bama Bob, uh, Trent and I, more college football at 11.05. And then uh, the Vikings and the Chiefs will be in the spotlight about 11.30. But right now it's time for another $1,000 slam dunk. Go to KXNO.com. Once you get there, uh, enter the keyword HOPE. To 200, 200. <laughs> Why do I always say yeah, that? Yeah, just there's because, no 200. No, you got to go to kxno.com. Right. There's, there's no texting involved. Let me start this over again. All right. Three, two, one. It's time for another $1,000 slam dunk. Go to kxno.com and enter the keyword hope. That's hope at kxno.com. Miller and Condon back with uh, Jeff Hughes on the Chicago Bears. It's 1025 on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3. You know this hot hit? I was going to say, there has to be a reason behind this. Okay. When 85? Into the 86 Super Bowl, yeah, 1985 season. Uh, let's get Jeff Hughes in here at the BearsBlog.time. Memories. Uh, Jeff, Trent, Ken, thanks for coming on, Jeff Hughes. How are you? Business at the Bears Blog picking up? Had a, we had a couple of good days here, gentlemen. Yeah, I bet. Good uh, for over, you. Over at the Bears Blog. Uh you know, I try to stay out of the scoop business, and I, I just think it's a it's a weird path to go down, and you can get obsessed with it. But I had the Ryan Pace firing in the last two weeks. I, I decided to disclose it last week uh, with my friends over at the Irish Bears show. And then, you know, they announced the Nagy firing, or that leaks, and then there was about a 10-minute window where I paced my apartment pretty vigorously because I was getting nervous that it wasn't going to happen, but it did happen. Uh, just the background on this is, is simple, guys. They brought in people to evaluate the whole of the football operation, and ultimately the people who looked at the operation said it wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And it's as simple as that. Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are good men. They were they gave it all to this organization, but in the end, the wins and losses didn't add up. Jeff, is um, if you could wave your magic wand, I'm not asking who, but I, I do want to... Does Fields need an offensive mind tutoring him? Does the head coach need to have an offensive pedigree in your mind, or does it matter? I don't think it matters. You know, I, I think of the head coach, and, and this is just, you know, growing up in, in New York and growing up in a Bill Parcells, New York, I've always thought of the head coach as the CEO. And I've always thought that if you have the right guy at the front of the room, the right guy to get the best out of every guy on that roster, then it doesn't really matter what side of the ball their expertise is on. And if that coach is sort of worth their weight, they're going to be able to, to get the right coordinators to lead the young quarterback. And, and by the way, the one thing about Fields is, and it's sort of with these modern quarterbacks who move around, I don't know how important the script is because so much of the excitement they provide is off script. What they need to clean up with Fields is those kinds of mistakes that young players make. Listen, if I, if I find out in the next 24 hours that Brian Flores is the new head coach of the Chicago Bears, I'll be pretty excited about it because I think it's just a change of demeanor, a change in attitude in that building. And I think that's what's required. 
maybe a little bit of tough love post Matt Nagy is what they need. Many people believe that this is not enough, that the GM and the head coach are not the only issues with this organization. And it points to the team president, Tim Phillips, who is a businessman, not a football man. Where are you on the debate? Ted Phillips, find another role, send him out to Arlington Park in the new stadium that'll be built, those kind of things. Where are you in this conversation and the structure as a whole going to Virginia's boys, including George McCaskey? Where are you with the structure currently of this Bears organization? I, I don't get obsessed with it. Ted Phillips is going to retire most likely in early 2023. The Bears made it a point yesterday to say the GM and coach will report directly to ownership, not to the team president. That role that people are clamoring for has been tried by owners in the league over and over again. The Bill Parcells in Miami, Mike Holmgren in Cleveland, uh, Tom Coughlin, disastrous when he went back to Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. What you do in that role is you hire a GM. Once that GM is hired, you're just in the way. And the Bears make the GM the top of the football pyramid. The GM runs football operations. That's what makes it such an appealing job for these candidates. The problem the Bears have is that their ownership is terrible. It has been terrible for a long time. Yesterday, George McCaskey, I don't put a lot of stock in these press conferences, but to say out loud, I'm just a fan. When you are the paid full-time chairman of the Chicago Bears, is such a bizarre comment to make. Why is this guy, and I go on soapbox rants about this, but if I was in his position, why is he not sitting with personnel guys every day, doing tape study, learning everything he can learn about the NFL, about the players, about the available player? Why is he not the most well-studied football man in America? He doesn't have anything else to do. And the problem is, I think they are, as a family, a bit lazy. I think as a family, they've just proven over the years to be genuinely disinterested in being a part of football. The Bears' problem is not Ted Phillips. The Bears' problem is George McCaskey. And the hope is if this, if this family is going to continue to own the team, that some of the younger kids, there's a kid named Connor McCaskey. He's with the NFL now. He's engaged. Hopefully the next generation, if they stay around, will be far more engaged when it comes to football operations. Jeff Hughes, the Bears blog, is our guest. Jeff, there's, I want to throw one name out there. I don't think he's going to get the job. I'm not even sure he gets an interview. But uh, Pat Fitzgerald is a very popular coach, and, and, the, and the theory was if he was ever going to leave Northwestern, it's going to be for the Chicago Bears. Well, the job is open now. It's been open before. Um, I mean, Fitzgerald is not, the, the team has not been good the last couple of years. Does he even get a, I hope he stays in college. I'll put that caveat out there as well. What about Fitzgerald? Does he even get an interview? I'd be very surprised if he did. I think there's going to be a genuine fear now around the league of bringing in these college coaches without pro experience. Mm -hmm. um, you just, we just saw the complete collapse of one of the most successful college coaches without pro experience in the history of the league. We've seen the Lou Holtz. We've seen the Steve Spurriers. When these guys come into the league and they don't have experience coaching millionaires and dealing with millionaires, it just doesn't work. I know Pat Fitzgerald is a rah-rah guy, yep. and he, that works on 18-year-olds. That's not going to work when you go into a locker room with Khalil Mack. It's just not. You need to be a tactician. You need to be smarter than the other sideline. So I, I would be very surprised if someone like Fitzgerald, I mean, they, might, they might interview him. Uh, they might pick his brain about what he sees from the Bears. So I know he is a Bears fan. But I, that's, that would be a scary direction to go because 
we're seeing it with Matt Rule even. He had yes. pro experience. Mm-hmm. These transitions are very hard when you go from college to pro. They're very hard. The general manager search is an intriguing one. It's a different type of names, names that most casual fans and even somebody like me doesn't know a whole lot about. You have to dig a little bit deeper to find out about. Ryan Pace was a fine scout. He didn't know how to build a football team ultimately, and that was his downfall. What are you looking for? What kind of candidate do you hope comes out of the GM search and ultimately who's going to build this Bears team going forward? I think that the discussion they're going to have is going to be a battle between two distinctly different types of of individual the rick smith jeff ireland type who have built an organization before who have a a swath of knowledge across pro college all those things you need to be a good gm i think you'll see those guys have traction but you're also going to see them interview the the ed dodds and the morocco browns who are much more of a sort of scouting mindset but have been in good programs for multiple years my focus always is Get me the guy who stands in the front of the room. And it should be Ryan Pace, from all reports in that building, was a terrific leader of the organization. He just made major tactical missteps with Trubisky and Nagy, and you don't survive those. I think it's time to put a little bit more toughness back into this organization, worry less about who the good guys are, and start focusing on who the good evaluators are and who the good leaders are. And I think this would be the right window to get this organization a bit tougher. So, you know, Ed Dodd comes with some question marks in, in Indianapolis. No people around the league know these question marks. But this is a guy who stands in the front of the room and you know whose show it is. And that's what I'm looking for for both of these jobs. Uh, Vic Fangio is not going to be the head coach. Do you, do you, is there a chance that he's such a great defensive mind, as you know, and as a Bronco fan, I, I'm fully cognizant of that as well. What about Vic Fangio? Do you think he come? Is there a way he gets back to Chicago? I, I think if they were to hire the man, I'd like them to hire the head coach. That's Jim Harbaugh. Mm. There's a very strong chance he would come back to Chicago. Uh, I, I can't gauge from anybody near the situation whether Jim Harbaugh is serious about leaving Michigan or just trying to get a pay raise. And with, with Jim Harbaugh, I don't, he probably doesn't even know. So the, uh, Vic Fangio is going to have, when you look at the kinds of candidates that are being talked about around the league, the Nathaniel Hackett and the Kellen Moores, mm-hmm. these young offensive minds, every one of them, their first phone call is going to be to Vic Fangio because you turn the keys over to the defense and you have a top 12 unit immediately. I'd be shocked if Fangio doesn't have his pick of three or four different jobs this coming uh, offseason. And I don't know if Zimmer wants to get back in, but it's a similar right. situation with mm-hmm. Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer's a heck of a defensive coach, and if he wants to stay a coordinator next year, he's going to have his choices. Those kinds of guys, you know, for years it was Wade Phillips. Yep. Uh, for years it was Norv Turner. Mm-hmm. Those guys were, if you're on one side of the ball as a head coach and you can turn the other side over to a bona fide head coach on that side, they're, they're invaluable in this league. And that's why those guys are going to be around for a while. Final thing for you, Jeff Hughes joining us to BearsBlog.com. You had a post up yesterday, found really intriguing, kind of going through the information that you've got the last few months that led to the firings of Nagy and of Pace. And the biggest part to me was that report that came out right before the Thanksgiving game against the Lions and the source that Patch.com had came to you also. Can you take us a, a little bit behind the curtain, the way this went down and ultimately why you didn't run with the story? About 12 to 16 hours before that story broke, 
I got it floated to me in an email. Adam Johns of The Athletic got it floated to him in an email. We're very close. Mm-hmm. So we texted each other immediately and said, is this, is this BS? And I did everything I could uh, through my people in the organization to find out. Everyone. By the way, this was floated to, I think, six or seven other media members. Everyone vetted it, and everyone said it's not true. And if you know George McCaskey's way of working, you would know it's not true. Who tells a coach they're going to be fired in basically the middle of the season? It doesn't make any sense. The story ends up on patch from a reporter who's never written mm-hmm. a story about the NFL before. Now, let me ask you this. If someone seriously wanted to leak this story, you think they're going to patch with it? <laughs> patch is a thing most of us don't even know exists. Right. So what, what really infuriated the Bears in the aftermath of that, of that wrong report was that they took criticism for it. That George had to listen to media members saying, this is not the way you conduct business, when it was not the way they were conducting business. And it's frustrating right now. And this, and this is what I was talking about when I started about scoops. Everybody wants to have the thing first. And they are willing to go it alone with, with, with false information in order to get those extra 500 Twitter followers or extra 2,000 clicks on an article. It's a dangerous time to be sort of in that media landscape. But that story was false. It has been proven false. And I hope it taught a lesson to a lot of people, especially the younger people out there who are getting into this, into this gig, that it's not always that exciting to have a report first. Uh, we have 20 seconds or so left. Any timeline? When do you think that there will be a GM, a coach in place? Any idea? I don't. They're, they're going to interview a lot of guys this week on Zoom. Then I think they're going to try to get them in the building if that's feasible yeah. uh, in the next week or two. Remember, you can't interview the coaches with games this week right. until next week. So I would think by the end of next week, we'll have a very good sense of who they're looking at. Jeff Hughes, DeBearsBlog.com, DeBearsBlog.com. Jeff, thank you very much. We'll talk to you in the weeks ahead. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Good to talk to you. Jeff Hughes on DeBears. Michael Swain on the Jayhawks and the Cyclones. They collide tonight in Lawrence. Miller and Condon back with that. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. Clubs.com. Back to Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Hi, Miller and Condon. Welcome back. 1050 on a Tuesday. Des Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. It's Kansas hosting Iowa State tonight. Talk about a unique perspective. Our next guest certainly has that. He covered Iowa State until the end of December. Now doing uh, likewise. Uh, he's on the Jayhawks beat. And our friend Michael Swain is back with us. Michael, Trent, and Ken, Happy New Year. Thanks for coming on. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Happy New Year to you guys, too. Uh, great to be back on the uh, radio waves in central Iowa. Well, we threatened to do so when Iowa State and Kansas collided, so we're, we're grateful that uh, uh, you accepted the invitation. So both teams coming off uh, losses. Uh, you could see Iowa State um, you know, going to into Norman and having a difficult game. Texas Tech was so shorthanded when they were in Ames the week before. I didn't think that they would get past Kansas the way that they did this past week. So what did you learn about Kansas as they went to Lubbock and came up on the short end of the scoreboard, Michael? Yeah, it's a Kansas team that maybe is a little bit different than some of the Kansas teams of years past, where you think about all the KU teams where it's Bill Self executing, being really sharp. And this team doesn't necessarily have a bunch of guys that are going out and executing a lot of the stuff that Bill Self draws up. And I think you saw that. 
with someone like Remy Martin being a little banged up, he has a knee issue. Um, he came off the bench on Saturday against Texas Tech. Uh, I think that they have really kind of struggled for kind of those guys to control the game, which makes it interesting for tonight because I think Iowa State's going to do a good job of putting pressure on Kansas. So can Kansas still execute when that pressure is there? I think that's still a, a big question. And then, of course, the big spot for KU. I mean, David McCormick has been hot and cold this year. You know, he was really bad against Texas Tech really good against Oklahoma State. So I think that's another interesting matchup there with uh, George Condit, Robert Jones, and Al Jazz Coons. So I think it was probably the two big takeaways I had from Saturday's game. You, of course, uh, know very well about Tristan Anaruna going from Kansas to Iowa State. You know him from both sides of the equation. Got to be a big game for him, and light bulbs seem to come on. He's playing certainly a lot better offensively. We know what an elite-level athlete he is, but scoring around the rim. Got to know the importance here of Anaruna. What's been the conversation from the other side, from the Kansas perspective. Yeah, I think the big thing that Bill Self identified when we talked to him yesterday was how aggressive Anaruna's been. And I think that was the big thing that you worried about when he came to Iowa State was how aggressive is he going to be? Because there were points at KU where he kind of floated on the perimeter, wasn't super assertive. And I think what we've seen so far from him this season is that more often than not, he's been the aggressor. And I think you saw that against Baylor with the offensive rebounds and the putbacks he was able to get. You've seen in some of the other games during non-con play where he was able to string together really solid uh, possessions and, and scoring around the rim. So I think being aggressive has been the big thing because he's always had the talent, always had the ability and the smoothness to his game. But it was a question of kind of mentally, was he going to be able to be engaged for the, the 20 minutes that he's on the floor? So I think talking to Bill Self yesterday, he seemed pleased that Enrune is having success. And I think that it really does come down to him really forcing the issue in, in a new environment. Uh, Jalen Wilson, such a a big part of this team. Of course, he missed, what, two or three weeks at the beginning of the season. I know he didn't play in the Michigan State game. Um, so it, it, it looks as though Wilson playing his best basketball now that the calendar has turned to 2022. Is that fair to say that uh, Wilson, who missed a lot of games early, uh, is now starting to look like the Jalen Wilson we saw glimpses of as a freshman? Yeah, it seems like it. In full context, like last year, he was probably one of the better teams on that KU team. He was the leading rebounder, was the guy that scored in double digits frequently, and then he had a, a DUI heading into this season that he was suspended for and missed the opening kind of few weeks of the season, and then it's taken some time to get acclimated. He's not starting. Um, he could start today if Remy Martin comes off the bench because of that knee injury. And you've seen Jalen Wilson now over the first week of Big 12 play. Um, was really good on the glass against Oklahoma State and then was able to make some shots against Texas Tech but wasn't able to grab as many rebounds. So I think tonight you're going to look for him to be someone that maybe puts those two things together. And I think that's an interesting matchup if he's out there because if KU does go five guards, Jalen Wilson will play the five. And that matchup there with him and Aljaz Koontz makes for two guys that are really kind of your modern four-slash-five guys that can rebound you know, handle the ball a little bit and shoot. And I think the shooting's been kind of the big part for Jalen Wilson because he has not shot the ball well at all this season. And that was kind of a big change against Texas Tech. So I think he is on the the upswing. It's just kind of a, a question now. Can he kind of consistently do it night in and night out? Well, of course, we got the trade and Aruna for Jalen Coleman lands. I don't know if there's future considerations to go along <laughs> with this. What can you tell us what you see out of the former Cyclone, well, the well-traveled Jalen Coleman lands, and also the Drake transfer, Joseph Yesifu. I know Yesifu didn't play a couple of games ago, just three minutes against Tech. Uh, the former guys from our state, what can you tell us about Coleman lands and Yesifu? Yeah, for Coleman Lands, it's been interesting because he's kind of had to adapt to a different role where, you know, last year with the Iowa State under Steve Prohm, he was very much 
uh, allowed to kind of do what he wanted. He dribbled a lot, was able to take whatever shot he wanted. And now I think you've seen him kind of work through what Bill Self wants from him, which is, hey, be a spot-up shooter and bring energy on the defensive end of the floor. And his on-ball defense is, you know, still I think as questionable as it was last year, but he's still playing with some of that high energy that you saw from him at times last season. And so I think he's come on a little bit stronger. You know, Bill Self challenged a lot of the bench guys to be better, and it seems like Coleman Lanz has really taken to it. He was a part of the eight-man rotation against Oklahoma State on the road, which is notable. Um, So he definitely seems like he's coming into his own, but it doesn't seem like that's the case with Yosifu. Um, He's really struggled, and he's been in a bit of a funk, and he's not really been able to get out of it because anytime that he gets on the floor, he's not really getting uh, long strings of minutes together to where he can really get in a groove. So he's coming on the floor for a few minutes at a time and isn't able to kind of jump in and make an immediate impact, which then if you're not doing that, Bill Self's going to go and get Ravi Martin off the bench or Daywan Harris off the bench. So I think it's been a more tough sledding for him uh, this year than Coleman lands where it seems like they're maybe almost on kind of different ends of the spectrum there on the bench. So uh, a conference overall, Michael, from where you sit, it looks like Baylor is, is Baylor again. They're 3-0. and They struggled early uh, in the uh, game against TCU this weekend, but prevailed in the end. Who is that second best team? Is it, you know, when it's all said and done, is it going to be Kansas, Oklahoma with the two uh, Groves brothers transfer, Texas, a ton of talent, if they can, and I say if they can figure it out. Who pushes Baylor when it's all said and done? I do think Kansas probably does, just because I think you look at what Bill Self has done with his teams, they always tend to get better as the season goes along. And with a team as talented as this one, you know, I think that they will be able to compete kind of night in and night out and have a really good conference season. Um, outside of that, I think Texas is kind of the wild card because they've just been super inconsistent this year. I think they're, you know, what, 12-3 and three right now. Um, if they do put it together and Chris Beard's able to get that roster full of transfers to mesh, I think they can be kind of that maybe second-best, third-best team at Big 12. But I've been really impressed with what Iowa State has shown, too, um, to start the season. You know, beating Texas Tech at home, really good win there. Um, they really controlled the game you know, in Norman and then kind of fell apart at the end. But I think they've shown some real positive signs of being able to be kind of a top half of the Big 12 team. But I, I do think this is very much kind of Baylor's conference to lose because they have been so dominant. And anytime they seem like they're on the ropes, they just have this extra gear that they're able to turn on. And no team really right now looks like they can stick with it. Great to catch up with you again, Michael Swain. We appreciate it. Thank you for the uh, contact info from Nick Olson. We've had on a couple of times as he takes over for you at uh, Cyclone Alert. We appreciate the relationship with you, Michael. Thank you for doing this for us, and we will uh, talk to you down the road. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys a bunch. Always enjoy it. Good to talk to you. Michael Swain, 24-7 Sports, now on the Kansas Bee. All right, more on the Natty from last night. Bama Bob, Trent, and I will recap that. Back to the NFL at 11.30. We'll do the Chiefs. We'll do the Vikings. Nick Athen, Ted Glover, respectively, as we take you until noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXF.